Do you remember that single panel comic, The Far Side, that humorist Gary Larson drew from 1980 to 1995? It put a hilarious twist on so many subjects. I remember two cartoons that Gary did about the subject of hell. One was a split image, and on the top there was a picture of clouds and an angel talking to someone saying, Welcome to heaven, here's your harp. The bottom drawing was a place with flames and a devil saying to someone, Welcome to hell, here's your accordion. Okay, sorry accordion players, but you're, you're probably used to this by now. The other comic about hell I remembered showed two guys standing in line by a serving counter amidst flames and characters with horns and spiked tails. One guy is saying, they thought of everything, even the coffee is cold. Now, we could probably debate whether the music or coffee temperatures of hell are appropriate topics for humor, but throughout history, various images of an underworld or eternal punishment have been major topics of art and literature. In both the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, there are a number of descriptions of hell. And one prominent feature in images of that horrific place is something called brimstone. Culturally, we talk about preachers who give hellfire and brimstone sermons. So what exactly is brimstone? Well, it's what we now call sulfur, a basic element on the periodic table and one of the more abundant elements on Earth. Interestingly, sulfur is also probably the oldest pesticide, having been used for farmers for centuries. And it's actually still a big deal today. In California agriculture, which includes many fruit, nut, and vegetable crops, sulfur is by far the most used pesticide in terms of pounds applied per year. Now, since sulfur is a natural mineral product, it qualifies for use in organic production. Its use is actually quite important for the control of pests for organic growers. Now, conventional farmers also use a lot of sulfur. So, sulfur is a natural, venerable, organic material. And the human body absolutely needs some sulfur-containing amino acids in the proteins we consume. One of those, methionine, has to come from our food because we can't make it. But as important as sulfur is in good ways, there's a reason that it gets called brimstone and why it is one of the features of the image of hell. Sulfur can be kind of nasty stuff. Sulfur is in many ways the organic pesticide from hell. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's episode of Pop Agriculture. Let's start with some data. In California, in 2015, 50.3 million pounds of sulfur were used for pest control in agriculture. That's one quarter of the total of the top 100 products on a weight basis. It's a lot of sulfur. Now, fortunately, sulfur isn't toxic from a human consumption point of view. It falls in a category essentially non-toxic in terms of a hazard for something you eat. Actually, 63% of all the pounds of pesticides used in California in that year fall into the same low hazard category. While sulfur isn't poisonous to us, it is rather unpleasant to be around. I know this from many years I spent doing research in the grape industry. That's where I got my Twitter handle, GrapeDoc. Sulfur is seriously irritating to your eyes and skin. 
so it's a little more brimstone-like for farm workers or others who have to spend time in something like a treated vineyard, orchard, or vegetable field. So how can sulfur be a pesticide? Well, to explain that, I'm reminded of the great radio quiz show, Michael Feldman's What Do You Know, that ran on NPR from 1985 to 2016. And one of the many quiz categories was things you should have learned in school had you been paying attention. Well, here's one of those questions that maybe you heard in high school. Do you remember the term sublimation? It came up in the section of chemistry class where you talked about states of matter, solid, liquid, gas, plasma. Normally, solids melt to turn into liquids, and then liquids evaporate to become gases as they get warmer. But sometimes a chemical can go straight from a solid state to a gas with no liquid state in between. And that process is called sublimation. Think about dry ice, which is solid carbon dioxide that converts directly to a gas. We think we can see that process happening, but the smoke from dry ice is really just water vapor in the air that condenses because of being chilled by the carbon dioxide gas that's sublimating. But still, there's no liquid CO2 stage in that process. So what farmers spray or dust on their crops are tiny particles of sulfur. And when temperatures are warm enough, some of that sulfur sublimates, going straight into sulfur gas. And that may react with water vapor that tends to be right at the close boundary layer of the plant's surface. Some of the sulfur is present as sulfur gas. Some of it's there as hydrogen sulfide, some as sulfuric acid. And these are forms of sulfur that can kill little things like spores or the thread-like growths of fungi. And these forms of sulfur can also kill certain tiny uh, spider mites that are crawling around on the leaf. And the way that these forms of sulfur kill things is described as multi-site. It disrupts various cellular processes. The reason that the sulfur gases don't hurt the plant is that the leaves and the fruit are covered with a waxy layer called a cuticle. Now, if the sulfur particles are too small or if it gets too hot, if the plant was recently sprayed with a mineral oil, the leaves and the fruit can get damaged. It's sort of a delicate balance, but obviously it's been a workable approach for some time. But these same sublimation properties of sulfur are why it can cause skin and eye irritation. So remember, Sulfur may be natural, but that doesn't automatically make it nice. There's an issue that goes beyond that of workers. Some researchers found a correlation between levels of childhood asthma in communities that were close to areas where a lot of sulfur was being used. Now, correlation isn't causation. There could be other factors involved, like dust or diesel emissions. But this sulfur link is something that's worthy of more analysis. And the most efficient way to apply sulfur is as a dust, because a dusting rig, as it's called, can travel through a field much faster than a tractor pulling a liquid sprayer. But dusts can easily blow in the wind, and particulates of any type can be an issue for lung health. Oh, by the way, remember the acid rain issue of the 1980s? There was even a different strokes episode that involved Mr. Drummond's daughter, Kimberly's hair turning green because she used rainwater or acid rain to wash her hair. You can chalk that up to too much sulfur in the air, but in this case, that was sulfur coming from burning coal. Okay, why is sulfur so widely used in California? 
Farmers are using a product on this scale. There's got to be reasons. Well, almost two-thirds of that sulfur is being used on grapes that are grown for wine, table fruit, or raisins. And there's about a million acres of grapes in the state. And one of the main pests of that crop is a fungal disease called powdery mildew. Sulfur is a relatively low-cost and effective way to control that disease, and it's been playing that role for more than a century. Typically, it's applied at a rate of several pounds per acre every 7 to 10 days for a total of 8 to 12 times a season. Sulfur also helps suppress those mites that I mentioned earlier, the tiny little eight-legged organisms that crawl around and suck their food out of the leaves and fruit. Now, there are some modern alternatives to sulfur for powdery mildew control. Starting in the 1970s, several families of synthetic chemicals have been discovered which can control mildew, but which are used at far lower rates than sulfur, like a few ounces per acre, not several pounds, and sprayed less frequently. These synthetic chemicals are also very low in toxicity to people, and they don't have the skin and eye irritation issues. On an earlier Pop Agriculture episode, I told the story of how I learned about one of the first of those new options when I was just getting my start in agriculture working in vineyards. Because of these new synthetic options, the total amount of sulfur being used on grapes today is actually substantially lower than it once was. But there are reasons that quite a bit of sulfur is still used. The new fungicides are non-hazardous to humans because they inhibit specific enzymes in the fungus, and those are enzymes that don't even exist in animals. And that specific mode of action is a good thing. But if growers use the same new fungicide too often, they can end up selecting for strains of powdery mildew that are resistant to the new fungicide. And when that happens, this great new tool becomes useless. Sulfur doesn't have that issue because of more of that sort of brute force multi-site mode of action I described. By switching among different modern fungicides with different modes of action and by mixing in some sulfur, growers can have an effective and long-lived program for the control of mildew problems. However, the organic growers don't have the option of using those newer, lower-use-rate fungicides, so they're more dependent on sulfur. Now, there are some products that organic and conventional farmers can use that stimulate the crop's own defense mechanism, and though these aren't probably workable as a standalone option, they can help. It's a similar story for the other crops where a lot of sulfur is used. So in that year 2015, grapes accounted for 32 million pounds of sulfur, tomatoes 11 million pounds, that's mostly for like the sauce kind of tomatoes, pistachios 1.2 million pounds, and strawberries 0.8 million pounds. Sulfur use is down somewhat on all of these crops but significant, and particularly for the organic producers in each of those segments. Now, there are quite a few smaller crops in California with rapidly growing organic segments, and for many of these crops, there has been increasing use of sulfur. Now, the California regulatory agency that keeps track of all the pesticide use data doesn't report whether the application was on organic or conventional, so we don't really know to what extent organic is driving the use of sulfur, but it's probably a factor. So, is the use of sulfur a big problem? Is this something that needs to change to go away? Well, one thing that can help with the potential effects of sulfur on neighbors is to use the water-sprayable forms rather than the dust. And in California, for example, the use of any dust product is being dramatically restricted now within a quarter mile of any schools or daycares. 
that shift to the wetter bull sulfur definitely comes at a cost to the grower. But at least for the conventional grower, that will be even more encouragement to use some of those modern synthetic fungicides. There is one really elegant solution for wine grapes, a California industry that by itself uses 22 million pounds of the sulfur each year. There are some wild species of grapes that are native to North America, and some of them are a lot less susceptible to the powdery mildew fungus. Now, you can actually make traditional breeding crosses between those species and the European grape species, but the wine industry is never going to do that because that would be abandoning the high quality of the traditional European cultivars. The solution would be to use genetic engineering to move only the genes for mildew resistance from the wild grapes into, say, a Chardonnay or a Merlot or other varieties that we enjoy. I talked about that general idea in an earlier podcast about whether plants should get to be in touch with their wild side. Now, moving these grape genes into grapes would probably work, but Unfortunately, the stigma attached to such a GMO solution probably makes it impossible for a brand-sensitive grape industry to contemplate such a step. In an ideal world, grape growers and other farmers would use an optimized combination of synthetic fungicides, the best resistance genes available, the resistance inducer products, and maybe some sulfur during the parts of the season where there's the least need for farm workers to enter the field. And conventional growers today can implement most of that ideal. For the organic growers, it's still going to be a little more like hell. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.